There's a phrase that goes something along the lines of, the past is always present. We're constantly being shaped and influenced by our pasts. The present can be profoundly affected by what happened in the days gone by. It may not be physically apparent, but it's there nonetheless, shaping our decisions and actions in ways we don't realize until later on down the line. But once in a while, the past isn't so subtle, and it doesn't have to be negative. In the case of Jackie Neiman Jones, her past came back in some of the most unexpected ways. For those who don't know it, 1966's Manos, The Hands of Fate is the stock answer for worst movie ever made. The backstory is more compelling than the movie itself. El Paso fertilizer salesman Harold P. Warren wrote, produced, directed, and acted in Manos after betting anyone could make a film. He assembled a cast, shot the movie in eight days, and the result was disastrous enough that the movie fell into obscurity. After the movie, Jackie eventually moved with her father to California and stayed there when he moved to the Pacific Northwest. She tried unsuccessfully to retrieve copies of the film during this time, but had accepted she would probably never see it again, the film being relegated to the dustbin of obscurity. But Jackie's past wasn't finished with her. In the early 1990s, the creative team at Mystery Science Theater 3000 found themselves in possession of a strange little film from the public domain. The film? Manos, The Hands of Fate. And as fate would intervene, the team at Mystery Science Theater 3000 had found a film that had been barely released in its time and featured hypnotically bad production values and a cast that seemed both bored and bewildered. The team knew they had found comedy gold, even without the patented Mystery Science Theater 3000 snark, Manos was a bizarre obscurity just ripe for satire. The show enjoyed an extended run on Comedy Central, and Manos, The Hands of Fate, became a cult phenomenon. Jones would eventually move to Oregon. She returned to the role of Debbie from the Manos films that spawned from its newfound popularity. While she's best known for her work on Manos, Jones has had a long and successful career in the arts, and her work has been featured in galleries and can be purchased online. In recent years, she's also become involved in writing and public speaking, sharing her story with audiences worldwide. It's an interesting once-in-a-lifetime story, and Jackie is truly a person who has used her past to define the way forward, not letting that past forge her destiny, but writing her own. Anyway, find out for yourself, and I hope you enjoy the Jackie Neiman Jones with Jay Bush. Hello and welcome to the With Jay Burke Show. My name is Jason Burke, and though I'm technically the host of this podcast, it's the guests who truly take top billing. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Jackie Neiman Jones. Jackie is an artist, author, and actress. You may know her from the 1966 cult classic film, Manos, The Hands of Fate, which she starred in at just the age of six years old. Jackie, thank you for joining me today. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, you know, I guess we could start off with that to get it out of the way. Um, 
Yeah, it's like it's like when you go to a family reunion. It's like everybody's thinking about this thing. You might as well just get it over yeah. with in the beginning, right? <laughs> well, it's funny. So I was I was a big fan of um, Mystery Science Theater three thousand back in the day. It was interesting to to read the story a little bit that it was kind of a forgotten film for a long time. Oh. And, I don't yeah. know if it was true. I had read online that you and some friends were trying to get a copy of it at one point, and it was it was nearly impossible that you you found it somewhere. I forget where I read that, but I did read something along those. Well, lines. that's one of my actual favorite stories. Is that <laughs> okay? So here we go. You know, Monos was filmed in '66 in El Paso, Texas, when nobody was doing independent film, and Hal Warren decided. He was going to make this film and so he was in a play that my my dad was starring in which was uh henry the fourth which oh, i don't have it right here i try to keep it close but i have the award my father won best actor of the year award at the community theater in 1966 67 and he always played the lead role i mean he was don quixote he was uh, King Arthur in Camelot. He was R.P. McMurphy in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I mean, he did big roles. Mm-hmm. So he was Henry the Fourth, And Hal Warren, who created Monos, looked around and he saw all the male actors he needed. And so my dad was otherwise talented. He was an artist besides acting. And that wasn't even his full-time job. But, you know, he did a lot of creative things and then my mother was a teacher but she was a really great seamstress and we had a dog with the right look this doberman who you know if you actually watch the film you see the dog is like Mm -hmm. definitely not the demon dog he was uh, casted for um but so my mom made the costumes my dad did all the props the sets every all the artwork was his so all these people got involved in this film and throughout the filming it it the whole thing took place in like eight days nights and weekends because everybody had full-time jobs and uh everybody knew it wasn't going to be very good but how warren who created it was a really good salesman i mean he was a fertilizer salesman Mm -hmm. he sold cars he sold insurance he was, uh, you know, he knew how to how to make the sale. So, so everybody stuck it out as community theater actors would. You know, nobody wants to be the one to go. It's just is working, right? Yeah. So, so he makes this film. We have the premiere. It was awful. It was humiliating. Nobody, I don't think, went to the cast party. I cried through the whole thing my mouth opened and this strange voice came out because nobody told me the whole film was dubbed. I didn't know a middle-aged woman was going to do my voice. So, so it was really bad for everybody. And so after the premiere, the theater canceled the rest of the run. So it showed for one night and everybody just escaped. Like they pulled off a big heist and nobody really ever talked about it again. But I remembered it as the greatest summer of my life. It's a six-year-old. I, I was the only kid on set, and uh, it was such a small budget thing. And, and I'm such an—I've always been such an observant human that 
that uh, I knew how to be quiet and just watch and yeah. stay under the radar, which I did at that point. And because it was such a small cast and crew, if if I needed to be on set the the day I I was there for the whole time because my dad was my ride, you know, mm. and it's out in the desert. So so we do this whole thing and I and then it just disappeared. And I grew up and I held on to the memories really tight. Mm -hmm. And I talked a little bit about it to friends. And then once I got out of high school, and this is all pre-internet, I started calling around to university libraries and just trying to find copies of it in my 20s. And then I just gave up, you know? It was never going to be back. And so at this point, 27 years later, 1966, now it's 1993, and my dad's living on the Oregon coast, and he had a, he was self-employed doing uh, like fix-it work, construction hmm. kind of stuff. And I was in uh, Northern California with a three-year-old son doing my, uh, I'm, I've been a self-employed artist my whole life. So I was working on my business. <laughs> and my dad calls me. What was it? I think it was January 15th. I have to look it up, but it was in January 1993. It was on a Saturday. And he called me and he says, you'll never believe what I just saw on television. <laughs> I mean, I honestly thought I'd never see it again. Here is 27 years later. But he was so fascinated that and he was a mystery science theater fan yeah i didn't know about mystery science theater i was a huge fire sign theater fan so it's similar and i i got the humor immediately mm -hmm. you know i mean it's like yeah these are my people but but way in the beginning it was like my dad saw it and it was on comedy central and there's an 800 number in the bottom corner of the screen. And I remember I was just shaking because I couldn't see it. He'd already watched it. It's not recorded. This is way before people can rewatch something. And I called the 800 number on this uh, young man named Matthew answered the phone on a Saturday. You know, that won't happen either. An actual human yeah. anymore. But he told me, we we talked, I said, you just show this movie that my whole family was part of. And I've been looking for it my whole life. And is there any way I can get a copy? And uh, that's when I knew, found out he was in the HBO offices in Manhattan. And he said, you know, what was the name of it? I told him. And then there's this long pause where I thought maybe he hung up on me or we got to, it's like I was so stressed out right mm -hmm. and he goes oh my god are you Debbie <laughs> <laughs> which was my character I, 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 I was shocked yeah. you know and uh, so we talked a little further and he said that that was their favorite bad movie there in the HBO offices and he had just had a copy on his desk so he sent, so he recorded one and he sent me a bootleg, you know, a VHS, which I still have. 
and I don't have anything to play it on, but uh, he sent me the MST version and I I took it into the bedroom and I when it came in the mail and I watched it and I was just happy. I'm like, I got what I wanted, you know, that's all I wanted. Yeah. And then since then, oh my God. That's amazing, right? Just change yeah. just change your life. Incredible. Yeah. Now, you know, it's funny, you you spent so long looking for it, now you could find it on YouTube and watch it. Now it's on YouTube, that's right. And then, you know, it's been restored as well. Yeah, I saw that. In fact, there was a lot of people saying that it's better to watch the original. It's it's different. It's just different, yeah. Yeah, it's it's different. And it's like, um, Manos has been taught in film schools is everything not to do in filming. The editing, the synchronicity the dubbing everything yeah like off about it but there's something that captivates people but the restoration ben solovey uh young when he found it young he was uh going to film school and uh he had found some titles on ebay that he was interested in some original things that he was interested in restoring and the guy in san diego said yeah, but you have to buy the whole box. I'm not just going to send you these titles. So he bought the whole box, and that's how it was found. (laughs) He found the original 16-millimeter work print was in that box, and it wasn't titled Monos, the Hands of Fate. So even if you'd been a fan, you wouldn't have known it unless you looked deeper. It was titled Handwritten on Their Fingers of Fate, which was the title before Monos, The Hands of Fate. Wow. That's amazing. I know. The whole story is like magical and weird. It's just, it's, it's strange and it's weird. And did anybody else who was in the film reach out to you guys then? Like, did it it make any connections after it appeared like that? Well, not at that point, but when I started putting myself out there more, and uh, seeing the fan base, connecting with people, uh, I decided I better write a book. Well, because I'd held on so tight to all these memories that, that they were there. And so I started doing my research and I found people that were still alive. And so I wrote this book. It's called Growing Up with Manos the Hands of Fate how I was the child star of the worst movie ever made and lived to tell the story. And I'm very proud to say, even though Manos is, I I think I just heard it's like, it used to be zero. Now it's like 1%. um, Yeah, um, what, Rotten Tomatoes? or? But my book is four and a half stars on Amazon. And to tell you the truth, the only reason it's not five stars is because there's uh, a niece of one of the actors who wasn't even alive during that time was so a little offended at something I wrote and she just wrote the most so she bashed it yeah. horrible <laughs> <laughs> but you know haters you got you know yeah, you deal with it right I mean it's just you part know, of the territory the truth is the mystery science theater audience the fan base is the most amazing group of people like I said earlier I was a fireside theater fan yeah. My best friend and I in high school, we memorized every album and drove 
everybody crazy. <laughs> we are always, we had a riff for anything. Yeah. yeah. And then I was introduced to, to MST and I've met everybody. I mean, I've Frank and Trace and Joel and, you know, I mean, Joel actually wrote a really beautiful forward to my book. Yeah. You know, I, I just feel so honored to be part of this incredibly talented group of people. I say they're, they're my tribe. I mean, I, if you look at all the inspired, really talented projects that have been born and inspired by this film, it's like, you know, Manos Hands of Felt, Puppet yeah. Theater. There's uh, Rock Opera of Feet. There's four stage productions. There's uh, coloring books, trading cards, video games. I saw there was a video game, yeah. Wow. And they're not bad. They're really good. These are talented people. Yeah. With a great sense of humor, which I just love so much. When you, um, let's backtrack a little bit. When you decided to write the book, how was that process? Were you always a writer? Well, on my own, I mean, all my life, I, I was a very introspective, uh, emotional kind of person. I mean, my dad was actually suicidal mm -hmm. at, when I was a kid. And uh, so there's a lot of darkness. And, and I express myself through my own writings. And I've found my books. I I found some things that I... I pretty surprised at how good they are yeah. for how young I was. But when I decided to write my book, I knew I, I knew I could put a story together, but I had never written a book. And because of the magic of the internet, mm -hmm. I met this incredible woman in Chicago, Laura Mazduka Toops, who uh, was a fan and she and I worked together and we did it all online she edited it i wrote and i sent her everything and then she just turned it into magic and so uh, to me she's well she's my co-person and uh and then again because of the magic of everything <laughs> the magic of the monos world uh, ben solovey had created the restoration and was doing a premiere at the Chicago Music Box. And that's when we were finishing up the book. So I went to Chicago and I spent two weeks at her house and we just like wrapped it up like in person. It was amazing. And uh, I'm so proud of this book and I'm so grateful because, you know, my dad is no longer here mm. and, and there were still people living that I was able to find and connect with that were on the crew or related to people. And uh, I was able to, uh, you know, corroborate the things that I had heard and bring the story together. And I just did the best job I could to tell the truth, not just from my point of view as a child, but you know, seeing that other people had seen the same things and the stories like, you know, the two guys that were on the crew, Bernie Rosenblum and uh, Bob Goudry, they were crew guys at the theater and they were best friends. So they were the the whole crew. I mean, Bernie not only was the assistant to the cinematographer, but he was the stunt guy. So 
when you see Hal get hit and roll down the hill, that's Bernie. Bernie's the one in the car. He's the kissing teenager. And, you know, I was able to talk to him. And and then because of that, I found uh, Diane Marie, who played my mother in the original. And she's been part of several projects since then because we did our sequel, Manos Returns. And thank God we did that while my dad was still alive. He got to be part of it. Diane was in it. And I've also found two of the wives who, by the way, were not credited properly by me. Because Hal, at the end, everything happened so fast. He, the All the women came from the local modeling agency, Mannequin Manor Modeling School. And, he, and you know, because at times he didn't bother to even know their names. Yeah. So I don't, most of them weren't credited properly at all. Yeah. You know what? I, I read that there was a um, an interesting case. There was a copyright dispute on that. I don't know oh, if you heard yeah. of that. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I, I guess because he had never actually put it in the in the film, the copyright notice. It's yes. technically part of the public domain. And I I guess I read somewhere like his son was kind of trying to fight it or or whatnot. Oh yeah, I, I guess It was so, interesting though. Just look it's like it's around here somewhere, but I have a copy of it. So October two thousand fifteen I was interviewed by Dalton Ross, I believe, at Playboy magazine. <laughs> <laughs> and um Okay, I gotta set this up for you. I live in a town of a thousand people on the Western Oregon coast. Mm -hmm. At that time, both of my kids were in the school system here. My younger son was like, a, he was a freshman in high school. And the whole school district, like 200 kids, right? And, and I volunteered a lot, you know, I do art projects. Everybody yeah. knows me in this town. I created the Arts Council. My sister was the librarian mm -hmm. at the high school. Like 60 kids, right? My brother-in-law was mayor. <laughs> so, I mean, family dinners were a quorum, yeah. you know? <laughs> so, so I was interviewed by Playboy magazine because of this uh, copyright dispute. And the title of the article was The Battle Over the Worst Movie Ever Made. It's a seven-page article, and it begins with my name, Jackie mm -hmm. Neiman Jones. And uh, I didn't tell anybody that I'd done this interview, and so they sent me a copy. And when it came and my son came home from school that day, I held it up, and I go, guess what, honey? Your mom's been at, your mom's in Playboy magazine this <laughs> <laughs> he must have almost fell over. Oh no! I never saw the color person. He, I thought he was gonna like pass out, I'm, and I, it scared me. But really, I thought, oh, I went too far. I'm like, no, no, no! It's just an article. I mean, everybody talks about how great the articles are. Yeah, they do. In fact, but I in think they're case, all articles. It's, now. it's a great article, but you know. Yeah, Joe Warren, he came after me, and he came after Ben Solovey, who did the restoration, right. and he came after us really hard and really ugly, and uh, and he wanted me to pay him a percentage of uh, 
every master's robe I made or, and, 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 you know, my thing was, well, wait a minute. My dad did all the artwork, everything. Nobody got paid. Yeah. I read somewhere you, you got paid with a bicycle and dog and and dog food. I did. (laughs) No. Well, my, the Doberman, he got a 50 pound bag of dog food. He was our family dog, yeah. Chonka, which, oh, here's another thing. Manos means hands. Okay. So it, it's redundant. So it's hands, hands, hands of fate. The hands of fate. Yeah. So our dog's name was Chonka, which was a Native American Osage. We're registered with the Osage tribe. And our dog was named Chonka, which is uh, a word that basically means dog. <laughs> so, so I thought that was funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Joe, he, he came after us with a vengeance and he just, he saw, I guess he saw a financial opportunity, but he made it out to be like, we were ripping off his dad. And, but the truth is that film never would have seen the light of day. Yeah. If it, if it was copywritten, it never Nobody ever would have seen it because Mystery Science Theater only does public domain film. Right, right. And the other piece of magic about Manos is when Frank Conniff found it in a box, similar to the way Ben Solovey found the work print, I'm telling you, <laughs> the master is with us always. But Frank found it. He watched it and he was unsure. But the way Mystery Science Theater chose their films at that time was Frank would go through these boxes and then he'd bring a couple and they'd they'd watch them during their lunch break and they would decide and kind of start riffing on it. But what I learned later, Joel, Mary Jo, Frank and Trace, they all said, the, during that lunch, they were watching it. Every single one of them were like, oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a hard one. But but like any group of uh, people collaborating in a creative way, nobody wants to be the one to call fire, basically, yeah. to go, I don't know. So they all just kept their mouths shut. And they did it with great trepidation. That's great. And yet... When it showed, it became an instant hit, and it's been voted as the fan favorite. Yeah, it's when they call it the worst movie ever made. It's really out of a great deal of love. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, there was um, what was the the one the disaster artist? What movie was that again? Oh that the yeah, one? the room. That was Tommy room. Yeah, Wyson, people. Tommy Wiseau and uh, I have not run into them at any conventions and Alan Baugh, he's doing films. Yeah. And uh but uh Cassandra Peterson and Elvira did Manos on her show. Mm-hmm. And we happen to be guests at the same uh convention in uh Seattle a few years ago. <laughs> and, uh, I I mean of course I, I saw her immediately across the room. And, and uh, I was conspiring how I was going to uh, meet her, mm-hmm. you know. She had this long line of people, you know. She was always busy, so I couldn't ever 
like just run into her somewhere. So I had to be a little more forward than I usually am. Yeah. And uh, I was taking a break one day and I kind of sauntered over. I was like checking out the situation and uh, she was at the end of the table and there's all these people and I just kind of walked over and then I jumped in and I ditched down next to her and I could see the woman next to her, like her bodyguard or something started like getting up out of her seat. Like, so I, so I just told her real quick, Cassandra, I'm Debbie from Monos. My dad was the master. Her dog was, I was like, just like, and she looks over at me and then her eyes got big with recognition <laughs> and she goes, stop the line like real dramatic it was beautiful yeah and then she just stopped everything and she pulled me to my feet we just had this really intense very short conversation and she was definitely knowledgeable she had some very like just off the cuff she had some very pointed questions that she wanted to know (laughs) and then we got a picture together which of course i have and Wow. That was one of my favorite celebrity moments. Besides yeah. meeting Joel and Jonah Ray and Frank and Trace. Yeah. Yeah. They're all just amazing people. That's amazing how much that opened up for you. It really is. But you you're now you're an artist though. You, you do other work? What kind yeah, of work do you do? Yeah, well, you see this piece these pieces behind me mm-hmm. my work. But I, I inherited that from my dad. Yeah. He, uh, he worked in many mediums. He did uh, clay and metalwork and all kind, you know, paintings. And uh, he'd find these old abandoned silver mines, and then he'd get turquoise out of them. He made a lot of jewelry. But then he'd find these old abandoned buildings and he'd take the wood and he'd turn it into furniture or paneling in the living room. I mean, that's, that's how my family were, you know, back then. And so I live in this town, this old town, uh, Western Oregon logging community. So like the building my studio is in was built in 1908 and the farmhouse I raised my kids in was built in 1904. I mean, we found out, we thought it was 1918 until we took the boards off, found newspaper in the walls, you know? That's so funny you say that. My first house was actually, for here, it was, I think it was 1890. Oh. I mean, there was so much work to do in that house. And the kitchen, I mean, the, the sheetrock was literally not sheetrock. I'm sorry. What they have the lather? I forget what they call that. Yeah, but the, yeah. But it was bowing. So I mean, I the actually laugh. Yeah. That's it. I literally ripped that kitchen apart by myself with like a crowbar. Right. And, just to get to the studs. And there was just so much stuff in the walls. I did, everybody just used to throw their their stuff in the walls. But the newspapers. It's crazy. And yeah, I know. My like, property's a acre and a half. Well, I sold it to my kids. But I bought the back almost well more than three quarter acres. I'm living in an RV at the moment mm-hmm. on the back, but 
my two sons, my daughter-in-laws, and all four of my grandchildren are like right there. So it's cool. The seven-year-old's knocking on my trailer door. Grandma, you know, <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> but I'm going to do tiny house and all this stuff. But raising my kids in this old house, my younger son is so much like me and my dad. He's just creative. And, <laughs> and I remember he would, um, he was always digging holes in the yard. And he was always finding stuff of the old compost, from, I mean, from the old outhouses and stuff. Because when people were, were done with the outhouse part, then that, they put all their broken dishes. I mean, I have so many little jars and bottles and spoons and all kinds of cool stuff. I, I mean, I finally told this kid, pick a spot and dig a hole. And he did. And so as a teenager... He had dug a hole that was like six by eight by like six feet deep. Mm -hmm. And then he put in a brick floor, a wood stove, uh, a, a roof and cut some steps. In. And as a teenager, I always knew where all the boys were because they came to my house and, and they were out there playing poker all night, <laughs> you know, so I knew they were safe. It was and you know what? Now that they're like 30 years old and they still, it's really great. They're still like my sons, all of them, you know? Yeah. I loved raising my kids here. But this stuff comes from, uh, I can't stand to see waste and I can't stand to see things that I find value in that are being destroyed. And so I started collecting these old doors and windows. I'd see them against garages or on on burn piles ready to be torched. And I would ask people if I could have them. And uh, so I didn't want to be a hoarder. <laughs> I started gathering all these things. So I would take these doors and, you know, four, six panel doors. And with my skill saw, I cut them into... Yeah. portion and the the frame becomes the frame and then i do like a venetian plaster on the center that's so cool because i had a 30-year career doing high-end full finish yeah so i do plaster finishes and things that i identify now, do with. you just see the see it on that particular piece of wood or, you know the door or whatever it's like all right this, there's an octopus in here or Eventually, I mean, I have these ideas of things that that I want to do. I've got, you know, visions of these other things, but I just wait. It's like the pieces come together. Like right now I'm looking at this window, like an old side window next to a door. It's only like this thick and three feet long, and it's but it still has the glass intact. And I don't want to break the glass out, so I bought some etching. I've done etching before. And, uh, you know, I just see these things, but I, don't, I can't say what comes first. I have ideas about things I want to paint, and then the particular piece comes along, and they just, like, it's, they just come together. I see this a lot now. This has become, like, antique -y stuff in the house. But people... Are doing what you do. I mean, you might be a little better at it than most people, but now I, I see this a lot, and um, where people will take something that that like an old door, like you're saying, yeah. old windows, and 
just you know either refinish it or sometimes they like that just scuffed up i like it that kind of antique look sometimes too like where it's just yeah, a little yeah. scuffed up and you can't do that you know that happens naturally and it, it, there's a cool look yeah. to that no, it's like I've done that a lot professionally, you know. I mean, in the days that I was doing faux finish, people want the crackle finishes. I really specialize in marbling. I love doing marbling. Yeah. Like when I'm doing marbling, I just don't talk to me. I'm like traveling through millions of years. I, I like I see how it builds from the it's weird. It's yeah. ma- it's incredible but that's getting in touch with it with a side of yourself so that that's cool it takes yeah, you out of i mean i've done home theaters with marble columns where people go what that's not real <laughs> i mean they're touching it and they're like no nah. they think i'm messing with them you know I, yeah it's some i'm really good at that but like the crackling i you know it, it was popular i do a lot of crackling but these old pieces it's already there i just i just enhance what's already there i just try to bring out the character of what what nature has already created do you find being from a, a smaller town like that that maybe it enhance i don't know if this is the right way to say it but like you could focus on being creative more no, because I'm one of those people that growing up, the teachers would all say, oh, she's really smart. She just doesn't apply herself mm-hmm. because I was I just had so many ideas and I split in so many directions. Being a, in a smaller place, you would think would help me focus, but it, it doesn't. It's like I'm one of those people. Somebody says something. That's how I made my whole life. I mean. I decided in my early 30s, I I mean, well, I decided my whole life I was going to be a self-employed artist. And, uh, you know, I had a dream about T-shirts. So I I got this local lady, the uh, business, to give me three dozen T-shirts. And, you know, it's like, I'll pay you one Tuesday. And she did, and I painted them, and I took them to the local wineries because I lived in Northern California, and I had been in the I'd been in hospitality and I knew the wine industry, and uh, I knew all the managers, and they bought my T-shirts, and it just built into this amazing business. And then one day, this lady goes, "Oh, and then I was doing hand painted silk clothing. I just expanded, you know." Yeah. But there wasn't a market in that. We were doing shows but i didn't know how to sell it you know it was so exclusive but that's where where the internet helps today now it's like yeah we didn't have it no i know you had to go out and do it the old fashioned way even with that now i'm finding these days i would like to spend more time just creating but i'm spending so much of my time just getting myself out there but i'm i'm at the tipping point so if you look on uh, dumbindustries.com, mm-hmm. D-U-M-B-Industries, Chris Gerbich, whose business that is, he produces the Mads Are Back show and Mary Jo Peel, and uh, he does other podcasts. But they they showed the Mads Are Back, Frank and Trace decided to show Manos for their Christmas show. 
<laughs> December 15th, and they invited me to be a special guest, and that's how I met Chris. And it was, from what I understand, one of their best attended shows of the year. I mean, people were just so excited that I was going to be there. But I've been, I've been teaching painting classes for like seven years, you know, the paint and sip parties. And I've been thinking about how I could do it online, but I'm not very technical. You gotta get your so kids to help you. Yeah. Well, nah, they're busy. Yeah. You know, they got kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, which is grandma, which is karma. I mean, grandparenting is the best karma mm-hmm. ever payback big oh, time. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I met after this show, I it just connected in my head. I go, maybe this is the person who can help me. So I connected with him and he's added me on to his repertoire shows. Oh, really? Not just mono. So, I mean, we're, we're calling the fans. It's like, well, what, you know, people are going Mitchell. Ega, you know, yeah. uh, Godzilla. Oh, look, I already have. I'm, I I'm saw the, that in the background. I was going to ask oh, yeah, about yeah. that. I'm doing a Godzilla for sure. I was, I was a I mean, huge Godzilla fan when I was a kid. I used to watch all the, uh, I used to love Godzilla when I was a kid. Like the old oh, yeah, thumbed over too. ones. Oh, uh-huh. I was, I was, it's funny. My youngest one got really into uh, Godzilla. And he'll oh, how Godzilla. old is how old's your youngest? He's six now. He's almost seven. Okay. So, but he watches like he'll watch the new ones. He's kind of out of it for now. Like if, if when it comes back around, he'll probably be into it. But I mean, he was like, I, I had to start buying the movies, all the all the old ones, and that's and it was interesting because cool. that was that was how I I grew up with all that. I just, I don't know. I just love that for whatever reason when I was a kid. I don't know. It's just one of those iconic things. And Mystery Science Theater is like that. What I'm finding now is all these people have been fans for a long time and they brought their kids and their grandkids into it. It's become like a family thing. And and Mono's, so many people have privately told me their Mono stories. Um, I just, a woman just wrote me yesterday saying about when her husband died and her kids were like seven and 10 and they're just grieving and they were mystery science theater fans. And one night she put on monos and they just laughed and cried and just like released all this stuff. I've heard so many stories over the year that literally I've been thinking about a book and reaching out to all these people. And I, I want to do a book called for the love of monos so many people have told me how it's impacted their lives and and that that it's become something they do with their kids you know that's yeah, pretty cool that's pretty cool that's pretty cool from the perspective that it was just gone and then like you probably thought it was you know it was, it was just a memory for you a, yeah. a special one and then it became something just you know you could never see happening that's why i think it's funny when you're talking about the the copyright suit because you're right if mystery science theater 3000 doesn't find it there's no conversation yeah. to be had at all but like you know joe warren Powell's son like i said you know my dad get, didn't get paid for anything you know they had a contract but it didn't make any 
profit. So nobody got paid, but my dad did all his work that he didn't get paid for. And Hal Warren went home with the painting and the master's robe. And, you know, he had that painting hanging in his living room <laughs> forever. And he wore the master's robe every Halloween. And Hal and his son Joe did too. And and then this guy comes along telling me that I need to give him a percentage of every robe that I make. Are you kidding me? No. So, yeah, we started off. I, I did talk to him. And fortunately, uh, we talked a little bit in the beginning so that I could just kind of clear some things up about his dad. But he tried suing us. And last I heard, I mean, he, he gave it up. It's Yeah, that's what I had read. Actually, you know, it's funny. <laughs> there was no precedent for that, that copyright dispute. Because from what I read, I guess he had found Warren had discovered the script was copyrighted. It was registered in yeah. the Library of Congress. You know, it's like if he had enough money... Who knows? Maybe he could get a copyright on it. Yeah, I mean, he tried. It just got stuck but what's from the what point? I know. Yeah, but I'm sure you would have, for not getting paid for it or getting your just due from whatever he would make, you'd probably have a lawsuit against him as well. You know, it's just. Yeah, and it, oh, God, that's definitely. I mean, like I said, I, I sold my house to my kids. I'm living in an RV. Yeah. I'm really going into the minimal, minimalist yeah. life. You know, I just want to do my art and I just don't want to have any dispute with anybody. But that's one of the great things about this fan base. They're so supportive and so loving and outreaching that nobody, no matter what you do, you're not going to get 100% support. But right. And I try not to put controversial things out there because I really don't want to argue with anybody. Yeah. I've had people go... It's not the worst movie. Well, duh, I know that. Yeah. I mean, I was actually in a movie way worse than Monos. The Rift Tracks did. The Curse of Bigfoot. That's horrible. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even watch the whole thing through. That was, never a, that was after, right? Is that Monos was your first movie? Yeah, it was in high school. I was in high school, and just by some weird chance, my high school class was invited to do this one scene, and our whole uh, drama class came in on a Saturday and did this scene. And anyway, I, I'm, I don't even have a line, but I have a screenshot Mm -hmm. And the kids sit next to me, frilly hair, David Pollock. He was one of the kids in the Bad News Bears. <laughs> Pretty cool. <laughs> Did you think about making it your career? I'm more into art. I've done a lot of independent film and actually filming for a friend in a couple weeks again. And I was just in something that's now out on Netflix, actually. It's called uh, Haunting in Ravenwood. I'm just in one scene, but I'm really proud of it. I got together with some other talented people and we did uh, Manos Returns. Yep. I produced and starred in that. And my dad was still living, so he got to be part of it. And Diane Marie who played my mother in the original. I found her when I was writing the book. We brought her out from Colorado and she was amazing. I mean, it's funny if you think about it, you look back, she's only 12 years older than me. So oh, wow. <laughs> very young mother in 1966. <laughs> but 
she went on to become an international uh, high-end model. She's worked all over the world and she's in her 70s and she's still just beautiful. So I've met some incredible people through this. And most of the films I've done is just I've been invited. Who knows what's next? I don't know. Yeah, well, you know what? There's so many avenues now. I always wonder, it must be the best time to be an actor because there's so much content being made all over the place. Yeah, it's not like the oh other yeah. Place. So we I I we did the pilot. We're looking for a distributor now. But if you look on YouTube at the Monos Chronicles, yeah, at the official trailer, it's really good. I'm very proud of this. And then can't share it yet. But the poster has been created, and I just found out this guy Eric that created the poster. You never think about the marketing part of film, right? Right. Like the posters, who does the artwork? They don't get the credit, right? No. So this guy, Eric, he did our poster, and I love it. He did it for free because he's a Manos fan, and his mother is friends with Willow Paulson, who the producer and creator of the Manos Chronicles. So we're hoping it to be a web series, but... This poster that Eric created, he did the posters for Spider-Man, for what we do in the shadows. You know, I mean, I'm blown away. Yeah. And he's doing it for free. I'm like, oh, my God, if we had to pay this guy, that'd be half our budget. I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) I feel like that's probably, though, a lot you're saying how they don't get uh, the credit. You know, that's like it's like that, though, in Hollywood a lot. Right. I, I think. A lot of scripts get doctored up and it's it's the 10 yeah. people touch it and you know they just they, the original guy yeah it gets all the credit for it or he may not or he may not yeah that's the other thing <laughs> you too. Know? i think that when i watch the end of these movies too and you see just the long kit all the credits and you're like yeah it's all, all the actors get you know the glory the stars but it's but it's really just it's a village you know it's that makes it that's come, great yeah. I like what I've been doing that lately. I watch it like all the credits. I'm just curious, like how many, you know, yeah. the key grips, you know. But, uh, oh, so here's a funny little, that's funny you said that. So in Monos, for instance, <laughs> there wasn't very many people. And it was shot silent. So all the women, all nine women and the six year old child were dubbed by one person. Right. So that was the big humiliation for me at the premiere was this middle-aged woman's voice coming out yeah, of my mouth. Be, that would be strange. Oh, it's horrifying. So Hal Warren had so few people, but because he was a salesman, he inflated the credit. He made up names. <laughs> and, he, and because he didn't know many of the women's names, he just, like, made up names. So, like, costume director or something, I don't know. Uh, my dad's name was Thomas Neyman. Yeah. And they had him as Tom Neyman, but then they had him in there as Thomas Ivy. Ivy is his middle name. And then costume designer was Jacqueline, which was my mother, but her name wasn't Jacqueline. It was Jackie, just like mine. People always try to turn us into something we're not, you know? But how, like, uh, inflated his credits to make it look more professional. Like it was, like, a bigger picture than it was. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> today, you, like, you fall asleep watching the credits. Oh, I know. So many names, I you know. know? I know. Well, now they do all those 
those post credit things. So that's the only reason, I think that's the only reason people are there. You sit through them. Did he do any other movies? Well, yeah, he'd written another script. How Warren knew he wasn't making a good film. Right. That wasn't his intention. I mean, he did the best he could budget yeah. people. I mean, he really did. He, he wasn't faking it, which is, I think, one of the things that makes it so endearing to people because it's obviously a very sincere effort. Yeah. And, and people can relate to that. He made a bet to make a movie and he got it done. Yeah. How many movies never, ever see the light of day? The odds are pretty great. But he did write another story called Wild Desert Bikers. But because of the success of Monos, he didn't get any takers and he wasn't able to <laughs> to go any further with it. So somewhere out there in the universe, there is a, There's a script a screenplay a script for Wild Desert Bikers. I haven't seen it. And his son probably has it, but there's no way I'm getting a hold of that. Yeah, show. yeah. <laughs> what's uh, what's in store for the future? Well, the painting classes, I think they're going to go really well. And uh, Chris feels that that's really good because our class is going to be fourth Saturday of every month. Yeah. So if you go to dumb-industries, I'll be right there and all the information about the classes and what we're going to do. I feel really good about that. You know, I love teaching. I love being with people. And, and just the thought of working with the MST crowd, I just have no idea where this is going to go. But yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, well, the Monos Chronicles, I really hope we find a distributor, which I believe we will. It's really good. You have to see the, the trailer. It's really good. And we can check that out online on YouTube. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Okay. The Monos Chronicles. There's a couple of them, but I think it's called the official trailer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like I said, the poster's been done with. Oh, the poster's amazing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing I'm, that. I'm excited. Willow Paulson, who's created it, has already got ideas for the next couple episodes. It's exciting. And then Monos Returns. You can find that easily online at, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what's next. Just type it in the search bar. You'll find it. (laughs) Yeah. Or if you hashtag just my name, Jackie Naaman Jones. It's funny when I has when I checked myself, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of stuff on there. (laughs) I know. It's like. Things I'd forgotten about, you know. You ever find anything that was like totally fiction about you on there? Oh, yeah, yeah. If you look at, it's supposed to be a documentary about Monos, which I can't even remember the search. No, I can't remember what it's called, but yeah, they made up a lot of stuff in there. Well, for one thing, they said that all cast and crew had either died or mysteriously disappeared. And I even got a hold of them. I got, I'm still here. But, yeah, they didn't want to talk to me. Yeah. You you know, I'm not supposed to be alive. Neither was my dad's. Well, I did see you can find Monos Returns on Amazon Prime Video. So it's 99 cents. 
And it's on Tubi for free. I think you just have to. Watch it is on Tubi. It. That's right. Just yeah. happened like a month ago. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking some time today to talk to me out of your day. And best of luck to you with everything. Maybe we'll talk to you again <laughs> in the future. Thanks, Jason. I really enjoyed talking. Thanks to everyone who took some time out of their day today to listen. The With Jayberg Show is available wherever you find your favorite podcast or go directly to jaybergshow.podbean.com and subscribe to get the latest episodes. I know it may not always be a straight line, but I hope we'll see you again to take the journey and escape a while for thoughtful excursions into the world of ideas across politics, technology, pop culture, and all realms of civic life. See you soon.